Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Grant Bolden here. So glad you are here and uh, honored that you're joining us today. We have a, uh, a great guest for you today. We've got a great show for you. We're doing something a little different today, and not just for today, but for uh, the next few weeks, for the month of February. We've got uh, just a little change of pace. We're mixing it up here at the Speaker Lab. Got to keep you on your toes, keep it interesting for you, and uh, keep something, uh, keep, keep, we got something fun for you today. Before we get to that, we actually, uh, we just put together a brand new training, a brand new free online training where we're teaching you a uh, step step-by-step strategies all about how to find and book paid speaking engagements. So this is a brand new training we haven't released before. And uh, so we are, are, are super pumped about it and would love for you to check it out. You can stop by EliteSpeakerWorkshop.com. Again, that is EliteSpeakerWorkshop.com. This is a great new free training, again, walking you through step-by-step all through how to find and book speaking engagements. So make sure you check that out again over at EliteSpeakerWorkshop.com. Now, for today's episode and for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a co-host. Now, again, this is something we have never done before and uh, I'm pretty excited about. It. This is actually, we're going to be joined today by Melanie Diesel. Melanie is a, a student who's gone through the Speaker Lab materials through Booked and Paid to Speak, our training program, uh, worked with the program a couple of years ago, and is now working with us as one of our coaches. Who, she works primarily with our, our students and helping them to be successful and helping answer questions and provide feedback and support. Uh, and so it just does a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And so uh, I'm used to doing a lot of interviews and used to doing uh, interviews for the for the for our podcast here and just doing some teaching and training. But I said, hey, you know, it'd be fun is what if we co-hosted something together and talked about a couple different topics. So for the next four weeks, next four episodes, that's exactly what we're going to be doing. We, uh, You're going to be hearing from us on a variety of different subjects and topics. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the more uh, common questions we get is, what do I need to ask? What do I need to know before signing a contract? So you're, you're talking with the potential client, you're close to booking a gig, what are the things that you need to nail down? We're going to dig into all of that today. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking uh, all about what do you do after the speaking gig? The gig is over. What do you do to continue to build that rapport and relationship with the client? The the week after, we're going to be talking about uh, blooper reel, like what what things can go wrong on stage uh, before the event, after the event, during the event, what can go wrong, what to do about it, how to handle it. We're going to talk about all those scenarios and situations. And then finally, uh, the fourth week, last week of February, we're going to be talking about non-monetary perks of speaking to consider. So maybe you uh, you have a client that you're talking with that is asking you to speak for free or a discounted fee. And just helping you to determine is that worth it and whether or not you should do that. So uh, this is uh, uh, Melanie and I are going to be riffing and, and discussing some of these different ideas and, and topics, but uh, really excited about this and honored that Melanie is uh, joining us for today's conversation. So let's get right into it. Here's uh, our conversation all about questions to ask before signing a contract. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. And today... 
It's not just me. I mean, a lot of times we've got a we got a special guest, but today's a super special guest because we've got a co-host hanging out with us today. And uh, not just for today, but for the next couple of weeks, we're hanging out with my friend and uh, the Speaker Lab coach, Melanie Diesel. Melanie, how are you? Hey there. This, awesome to, to be here co-hosting with you. This is fun. We've never, we've done like a bazillion podcast episodes. We've never had a co-host and uh, you're the first. So uh, no, it's true. no pressure. I did make an appearance way back, way you back in the day, but I was appearance. a guest. This is true. This is true. Now, like, I feel like. <laughs> Like I, I picture like like a late night talk show, and you were sitting on the on the couch over there, and now you've got a, a your own chair at the desk, yeah. or something. I don't know, something like moving that. on up. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> For the next couple of weeks, we're going to just be riffing on a couple different topics, some key topics that we've been uh, discussing that we find are really important for speakers to know. Questions that we get regularly from speakers. And I figured it'd be good for us just to kick some ideas around. But before we get to that, since you're going to be hanging out with us and co-hosting for the next few <laughs> weeks, want to make sure people have an idea of who you are. So give us the snapshot, a nutshell on, uh, on Melanie and, and all things speaking. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Melanie Diesel. I was a student of yours way back in uh, 2015. Yeah, it was a couple like of years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah. And we just crossed the new year, so it makes it feel like even longer ago, right? Right, right. Yeah, so I was a student of yours. I, I had been working in a corporate capacity doing branded content storytelling, right? So helping inside of publishers and brands help them understand how they could think more like journalists and tell better stories. I was working in that corporate capacity, and I found that I was kind of representing my team out in speaking gigs. And when I reached out to you and took your course, it was because I realized like, hey, I kind of like that stuff better than my day job. So I wanted to do more of that speaking. I wanted to master the craft and understand how I could really make that a bigger part of my life. So for the last two years, I've been out on my own full-time doing speaking and consulting and, you know, taking that message on the importance of of stories to the stage. So excited to join on as a coach and, you know, bring it full circle and share some of that knowledge back with the team. Circle of life. I feel like this is the (laughs) Lion King or something like that. So, all right, so let's get into today's topic. So we're going to be talking about questions to ask before signing a contract. And where this kind of stemmed from is we've got a lot of speakers who are booking things regularly, but the first time you book something, you're just so excited to book something. And you're just like, I I, I agreed to something, but I don't really (laughs) know what, but it's really important to nail down what exactly you're agreeing to, what you're signing up for. So talk a little bit for a second here on like, why does this matter? Why do we need to be aware of, of what to be asking before we sign a contract? You know, I think it's it's so important for us to kind of share these insights because like you said, you don't really know until you make that mistake, right? And it's a tough way to learn by process of elimination. You don't want to make every possible mistake one time before you understand. It's very easy, especially when you don't know what questions to ask to get taken advantage of. You know, it's not necessarily that folks are out there to get you, but you know, they're running a business too and they're going to do what they can to get the best possible deal and, and the least work for them. So definitely you got to know what questions to ask, be informed to kind of make the best arrangement for yourself. So we put together a list of uh, six different questions that you definitely need to ask. A couple bonus ones we may throw at you as well. And so we're going to just break these down. First one is this, is, is how many sessions do they need? Kind of what types? And really just some more details and context on the sessions themselves. So uh, I think sometimes when someone reaches out and says, hey, do you, you know, can you come speak at my event? Well, can you come speak at my event means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So it's important to clarify, are they looking for uh, maybe a, a keynote with a, a large group of people, maybe a, a workshop or a breakout with a smaller group of people, the type of the audience or the even the length of time. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But you do a lot of speaking in the conference space. So how do you view the differences between you know keynotes and breakouts and workshops? And some of them can be a bit synonymous. So what, what are your views mm-hmm. there? 
Yeah, I think, you know, this is one of those cases where you want to get as much detail as possible because the language you're using might be different from the language they're using. And you may be talking about the very same thing or using the same words, but meaning something totally different. So yeah, a keynote in most instances for most people means you're the only person there on stage. There's a, a big audience and you get your period of time to talk about your big idea. At least that's in the context that, that most of the marketing folks that I would be speaking with would use it too. But they tend to use workshop, breakout, and session or seminar very similarly. So in general, if they're using one of those terms, it means it's going to be a smaller group. It's probably going to be a longer session and there's going to be slightly more audience interaction than you'd see in a keynote context. But even within that, it can really vary widely. You know, for most people, when you hear workshop, you think it's it's very interactive. There's maybe activities, there's group assignments, there's, you know, question and answer. So yeah, you really got to kind of ask, you know, specifically what they're looking for. What does it look like to them? You know, what is a session? How do they envision it in their mind? And that can give you a better idea of whether the terms you're using are, are lining up. Yeah, and some of the, the of it depends on the context of who's actually hiring you as the event planner, mm-hmm. meaning that for some of them, you know, if you and I speak at, at some type of, of marketing conference that happens on an annual basis or biannual basis, and, and it's someone who's worked on an, a conference or an event a bunch, then they really know kind of the, the lingo and they know some of what you're discussing versus someone who, let's say they were tasked with, uh, you know, hosting a banquet, they got to find a speaker and they don't really know, you know, the difference between all of these different things. Mm-hmm. So even just kind of like asking them questions and learning more about it, they just know like, we have a two hour banquet and we need a 30 minute speaker. Like they don't, you know, they, they don't know much more beyond that. Right. So, but just, just trying to get as many details from them about what exactly is this session going to be, uh, mm-hmm. and also making sure that it aligns with the, with the content that you're offering. Meaning that I know for me personally, I do really well in like a, a one hour keynote session. I'm not really good or I don't really prefer like an eight hour, you know, breakout <laughs> workshop training, whatever you want to call it, seminar with a, like a small group of people, like that's just tiring and exhausting to me. Versus, <laughs> but I know some people love that type of setting. They want to be in that type of setting. So as many details as you can find out of exactly what the type of session is, the better. So all right. Anything to add there? No, I think that's it. All right. Second question. Let's dig into this. Second question is how long are the sessions? All right. Again, it just, it seems like not just, we just want you to come and speak, but like how long you come and speak is different for everybody. So I learned this lesson the hard way early on in my career. I went and uh, I think I've told you the story, but I went and I spoke at an event in Pennsylvania. It went great. I felt like it went great. The audience seemed, I it went good, you know? So finish up. I'm talking with the client. The client seemed super happy. Everything seemed good, right? All is well. So like a week later, I get the I get an email from the client and she's just super annoyed because I spoke for like 45, 60 minutes or so. And they had down that I was speaking for 90 minutes. And so I finish 30, 45 minutes earlier than they were <laughs> anticipating. I didn't know that. And it wasn't like I was trying to short them or something. But for the context, like a 90 minute session would have been stupid anyway. But like, again, it's just a, <laughs> it's a miscommunication on both parts. They were expecting one thing. I was thinking another thing. And now all of a sudden it leaves a bad taste in their mouth over something that we really should have nailed down. So one thing we do now is inside of our contract, whenever we're first discussing with the client up front, any of the details in terms of time, then one of the things that we do is we actually put that time in the contract. We put it in writing. And so we'll put, you know, Grant will provide one keynote, and then parentheses, you know, 45 to 60 minutes or, you know, whatever the length of, of time would be. But again, that way we're on the same page that there's no, there's no surprises there. 
And I think the other reason it's important to ask this question is not just to ask and then deliver exactly what they're saying, but to actually have a conversation. Because like you said, 90 minutes wouldn't have made sense for your context, right? So them saying 90 minutes, you agreeing to it, and then you having to struggle and put forth what's not your best effort just to fulfill what might be an arbitrary time block, right? Like maybe they've just picked that because like you said, they're not familiar with booking speakers. They have a schedule that's already made. You know, they might not be thinking about what's best for the audience, but just what's best for our schedule. And so that's an opportunity for you to say, listen, my message really works best. The the speech that I have works best in a, in a 45 minute block. Why don't we do 45 minutes? We'll take a short coffee break or restroom break, and then we'll do a separate Q&A session so that people really get that engagement. So maybe you're able to work with them to find an arrangement that's in your comfort zone that best serves your message, best serves your audience, and you don't get any surprises of either going long or finishing up early because that's unpleasant for everyone. Yeah, no, I think that's, Um, that's a great point, Like especially with... Like we were talking about earlier, there are those event planners who they just don't have a lot of experience. They've only hired speakers yeah. maybe a handful of times. Maybe this is their first time. And maybe for you, you've done you know a, a several speeches, tens of speeches, hundreds of speeches, thousands of speeches. So you just have a much more, you have a much better gauge of how this should go. I remember several years ago speaking at a, um, it was a middle school conference, in fact, and they said, hey, we, you know, we've got you slotted for like, a, it's like a three hour slot. I'm like, Three hours with middle school students <laughs> sounds miserable. We can't do that. So, but they just, they just didn't know, you know. And yeah. and some of it is just kind of we've got this three hour window. We'll just stick the audience in a room with the speaker, and the speaker will figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, like that doesn't always work. And so, helping coach and and walk through. Hey, here's some different scenarios. You got three hours to fill, or an, or a ninety minute block, or whatever. Here's some different ways that that could look and still accomplish the goal, but mm-hmm. do it in a way that's actually better for their event. And I will say that's wonderful for two reasons. You know, if you can be the speaker who helps the organizer put on a better event, that makes you a favorite. That means good testimonials, good reviews, being invited back, getting recommendations. So you want to make sure you're giving them the best information. Even if on its face, it seems like you might be contradicting them. You're really acting in service of them, their audience, and their event as well. The other thing is, and I don't know if this is true for you, Grant, with a lot of my talks, I know that I have a flex of about 15 minutes. I have additional stories, additional examples, you know, some anecdotes I could tell to give it some flex. And the reason for that is if I'm going up after Grant and they come running up to me and they say, this guy just ended 30 (laughs) minutes early and now we have a big gap. I want to be the superhero that says, I've got your back event planner. I can extend this by 15 minutes and get us back on track or vice versa. You know, Grant went went on a roll and he went over his time. Now I can shorten by 15 and be able to get us back on track. So, you know, knowing the time is always great, but just as a, as an added thing, knowing where and when you can have some flex to your time can be really helpful as well. No, totally. There's a great opportunity, like you said, to make you the hero to the event planner by having that flex. And there is nothing worse than a speaker who, who goes over on time. Or I remember being backstage at an event and talking with a speaker who's getting ready to speak. I think I was speaking maybe a different day, but I went to see him and and he said, I'm just going to go until I'm done. And I'm just like, dude, you can't do that. Like, you need, <laughs> If they give you, you know, 30 minutes or 60 minutes or 45 or 90 or whatever, you need to be respectful of that for the audience, for the event planner. So you always have to remember as a speaker, you are representing that client. And so you want to be respectful of the time. And so so none of this, like you mentioned, if, if, you, if you're supposed to be 60 minutes and they're like, hey, we are running way off schedule. Can you cut it in half to 30 None of this like, no, 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 but then I can't tell my cool story. Then I can't show this pretty slide. Like you cut to 30 <laughs> and you have a plan for how to yeah. actually do that. And some of that comes with time, but just being willing sure. to roll with that as that may uh, may pop up. Mm-hmm. 
Cool. Awesome. All right, third one. Let's get into this. What will the audience be like? What are their expectations? Just getting a better feel for the audience themselves. What do you think there? This is so key. And especially if you're speaking to a different type of audience, right? Like, you know, for you, if you're speaking to students, Grant, who are all in the same age range, you have a, a general idea of their life experience, you know, of where they are in life, their general age, you know, they might be pretty consistent. If you're talking to a broader group like sales teams or couples, you know, you don't know the challenges of a, of a young sales team at one type of company are very different than an established sales team at another company or young newlyweds versus folks who have been married for 30 years. You know, their challenges, their experiences, their questions are going to be very, very different. And the way you deliver your message, the language you, you choose to use, the examples you might call on might be very different depending on that audience. So it's, it's so key, at least for me, this is one of the things that's very important is to, to understand who are these people that I'm going to be speaking to, even if it seems like a basic question. In my experience, you know, the folks who are planning these events are always happy to tell you more. And sometimes they can even be very specific. I've had conference organizers send me an anonymized list of job titles and companies so that I can understand, you know, okay, there's a hundred people in the room. Most of them are at manufacturing companies. You know, that's going to be important for me to understand the examples and language that are familiar to them. So I think these kinds of questions up front, just getting a sense of who you're talking to is so key. Yeah. The other thing too, within that is this is a bit of a different topic, but understanding the context of which, in which you're speaking, meaning that where do you fall within the conference? Let's say that you're speaking at a conference. Are you speaking on day one or the last day? I remember uh, speaking at a, uh, a conference where I was like a workshop on the last day, meaning that everybody's exhausted. You know, everybody's worn out. People are tired. They don't necessarily want to be there. They're ready to get home versus it's day one. People are excited. They're energized. They're looking forward to it. So kind of understanding some of that context, understanding what else is going on in the event itself, meaning that, or even just within the session itself. So I remember one in, I think it was in Utah several years ago, where it ended up being like a four hour session. And I was the last thing. And just, it was like a huge awards banquet. Mm -hmm. And just, it just went on and on. Everybody in the place is getting an award for something. <laughs> and now our speaker, you know, well, at that point, everybody's uh, exhausted. Nobody wants to be there. So they're taking selfies with their trophy. Yeah, just like, get us all <laughs> out of here, right? So as a speaker, it's good to know those things ahead of time. The more yes. that you are prepared, the more that you understand the context of what you're walking into, and not that you get there and you're learning like, oh, crap, like I'm the end of a four-hour session, like I need to start making adjustments on the fly, just the more prepared you are going into it. Yeah, that, I think this is super important. I generally prefer to be later in a conference, not the very end, because I think people will check out early, but I sometimes don't necessarily like to go first. And the reason for that is I find it really valuable, at least in the context where I am, at a marketing conference where people are learning all those different things. I like to reference things that the other speakers have said to make them understand how cohesive everything is. And this actually worked out super well for me, Grant. I was speaking in Iowa last year. I had this, this small conference and, you know, I was like the second or third to last slot and I went early so I could see the other presentations in the first two days. And as I was sitting in the back, I realized like my topic is way off base for these folks. Like the presentation that I prepared, it's, it just doesn't feel like a good fit. So yeah. what I ended up doing is I talked to the organizer and I said, I'm going to leave early today. I'm going to go home and I'm going to redo some of my slides. I need to bring in some different types of examples. I, I want it to feel cohesive. And I ended up integrating quotes from some of the other speakers throughout the presentation to help make it clear that while what I'm talking about might seem different, it's connected. And had I not known the context of where I was going to be, I wouldn't have had the time to do that. So, 
you know, having some insight going in about where do you fall and, and what does your audience expect can save you from having an unexpected surprise when you get there. Well, and connecting the dots between speakers, again, makes a great impression with the event planner because it's more than just mm-hmm. all these siloed talks and more of these isolated things. But right. if you as a speaker are able to say, hey, you heard Grant yesterday reference da, 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 da. And mm-hmm. here's how this, you know, and you're able just to like be a thread that can kind of run between sessions or throughout the entire conference. Mm-hmm. And again, like you mentioned, especially if you're speaking later in an event or you're like a closing keynote type of role and you're able yep. to reference other keynotes or other some of the other breakouts or some of the other sessions or some of maybe not necessarily specific sessions, but maybe just something that happened in the environment that right. you're able to all experience together kind of brings it all together. Right. And that brings us to number four which is who are the other speakers at this event? That is another thing you probably want to get some sense of right up front. Yeah, and it really, um, again, it depends on the nature of the event. You know, in some conferences, maybe they bring in a bunch of speakers. Maybe it's just a small banquet and it's just you, you know, and both are fine, both work well. But again, you just want to have some type of, of context of who some of those speakers are if they are having other speakers. I always personally, I like to know who some of the speakers are. Uh, one, because it helps me to kind of understand what their budget is. Or mm-hmm. who some speakers are that they've had in the past. If they're rattling off several friends or people that I know are are at a higher fee level, or speakers that I know are at a lower fee level, it kind of helps me before we've even got to the point of maybe discussing finances to know what some of that is. The other thing too, like personally and selfishly, like I want to know, like, oh, cool, my friend's speaking at it, and it's a chance yeah. for me to hang out with them in a cool <laughs> place, you know. So that's always fun as well. It's true. And one of the things I like to ask about speakers too, particularly in the marketing sphere, we have a problem with gender balance. Folks may have seen this in the news, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, got all kinds of flack because it was entirely male speakers for a multi-day conference. That kind of thing is not unusual. So I've tried over the last you know few months or so, especially to ask who are the other speakers and to take particular note of gender balance. That's something that's important to me. If it's something that's important to you, you know, there may be other factors that are important, diversity, you know, you want to be speaking with other international speakers or other professors, or you're trying to associate yourself with other types of speakers, then getting those kinds of insights up front can be super helpful as well. Very true. All right, let's keep moving on here. The next question, I always like to ask them, what does a home run look like? And and the reason that I like to ask this is, I want to figure out like what does success look like to them? Because again, it's, it's kind of subjective, you know? For some people, they're like, you're just a speaker who's filling a slot. So as long as you show up, that's a home run, right? Aww. Versus like, I know, want want <laughs> Versus like, you know, you showed up and the audience, you know, we really want the audience to have three specific takeaways or we really want the audience to laugh. We really want the audience to, I don't know, whatever it may be, but just being clear from them, what does success look like? So you're, you're, you can kind of frame some of what you're trying to do around those those metrics to them? This is such an important question. And obviously, as you know, I come from the marketing background. We're always asking, what are the key performance indicators? What does success look like to you? Because we've got to make sure that the two of us are on a team and we're working toward the same goal. Because if I think that a successful speech means a standing ovation and you think a successful speech means people quietly taking notes and absorbing things, we're going to have some conflict there. You know, and sometimes those goals might be different, you know. You have to understand how is the person who's booking you being evaluated, right? Are they going to get speaker rating forms? And their job depends on how well those speakers are rated because 
working toward good rating forms might be different than working toward a standing ovation or working toward people taking notes or pictures of your slides, right? So that I think that's so important to know upfront because it may change or make slight adjustments to the way that you carry yourself or you collect your materials or the way you, you choose to or not include a specific anecdote or, you know, the language you might use. You know, I have had very corporate clients who would say that they don't want a lot of ruckus. They don't want foul language. They want people to be quietly taking notes and that's success to them. That's not the same for a keynote or for you, Grant, if you're trying to rile up kids and get them excited for a new year, like that's totally a different, you know, outcome that we're working towards. So yeah, it's, it's, you got to know what's important to them because it may be different than what's important to you. Well, one thing you touched on there that I think is really important is to remember that you are there to make the client look good. So let's say, think about it in a, in a, whether it's a conference setting or whatever the type of setting is, the person that is hiring you, the, the person that's directly responsible for hiring you and making a decision that, yes, Melanie is going to be our speaker this year, they are putting their neck on the line. So if you show mm-hmm. up and do a great job, then they look like the hero. If you show up and bomb or you're inappropriate or you do anything wrong, then it makes them look like a like like a horrible person, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to remember you are representing that person. So sometimes I'll I'll tell clients like part of my job is to make you look good. I want by the end of this for your boss or for your coworkers or for your colleagues to be like you did a great job selecting Grant as a speaker mm-hmm. and he made all of our lives simpler and he was great with the audience and it just makes that person look good, which makes a huge huge difference to the uh, event planner and and the environment that they're working in. Absolutely. All right, let's keep moving on here. The uh, the next thing that uh, oh, I think is important. So once you kind of figure out what those, I don't know, those, those key pieces of the talk are, then as you start to kind of transition into finances, we're not going to get heavy into that today. But one of the questions that always comes up is travel. And there's a lot of variables that go into that. Am I paying for that? Are they paying for that? Who's booking it? Uh, how, how do you do it? There's a lot of ways that speakers do handle travel. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of different preferences. And I'll be honest, my answer changes depending on the context. So when I'm doing international speeches, I generally prefer to let my, you know, my host take care of booking the travel according to my preferences and booking the accommodations. And the reason for that is oftentimes international tickets are very expensive and it's not the kind of thing that I want to put a a front up and wait for reimbursement. If, for example, an overnight ticket to Australia is $6,000, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to front that for you. You can take care of that for me, you know? But sometimes there's a language barrier. They know the geographic area better than I do to know whether that hotel is really walking distance or in a great neighborhood or any of those other things. So, you know, if it's a city where I'm familiar, if it's the kind of place that I don't mind, maybe I want to use specific hotel points or or airline points that I have, I will sometimes book my own and take reimbursement. But as a general rule, I'm happy to share my frequent flyer number and let them take care of the booking for me. Interesting. All right. I got a different approach. Now, mm-hmm. what I do is, um, well, there's two ways basically to handle travel. So there's basically, like you mentioned, that uh, whether the, whoever books it, you are, or if you book it, then you're being reimbursed after the fact. So it's kind of a, here's my speaking fee plus travel is additional. And you just put together an invoice of everything that, that you incurred while traveling. So that's one way to do it. What I personally enjoy doing and I prefer doing, and I, I see several speakers that do this, is they do more of an all-inclusive route. So it's instead of speaking fee plus travel as, as a separate thing, it's all under one umbrella. So it's my job as a speaker to do my best to minimize those travel expenses. That way I'm not having to like track receipts for them or, or turn in receipts mm-hmm. to them. Still got to keep that stuff for tax purposes, but it just makes it a, a lot simpler. And like you said, 
I am not waiting on them to send me a, a reimbursement check. Mm-hmm. Most clients are pretty good about getting a reimbursement check out pretty quick after the event. But I have had a couple of times where like months later, you're still like, <laughs> you still owe us money, you know, because really, <laughs> like after the event is over, they've kind of moved on to the next thing, you know, like yeah. mentally, they've turned the page. So just you end up having to bug them and harass them to stay top of mind to get that money back. So maybe we could list really quickly, what are kind of like the pros and cons of each? Because, you know, for me, one of the reasons that I prefer to let them book is it does two things for me. It allows me not to have to front the cost of those things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easier for me from a financial paperwork perspective to just let them do it. But I'm also a team of one, you know, it's yeah. easier for me not to have to worry about the booking details and finding an invoice and looking up prices. So for me, the advantage is while I do relinquish some of the control over that, you know, I'm happy to express, I prefer an aisle seat. These are my preferred airlines here, are my, my, you know, airport of choice. I get the advantage of having that time of booking and invoicing and all that brought back into my life. And for me, that's the value for me is I would rather have that time back and let someone else handle the logistics. What's the perks for you that you'd rather have control? Is it the control over your own preferences of which airline, which seat? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a bit of that. Like I'm, I'm a bit anal whenever it comes to travel and I, <laughs> this is the way I want to do things. The other thing too, I would say is you think about it from um, what the goal outcome is for each of them. Okay. So if a if it is uh, plus travel, meaning let's say I'm buying an airline ticket and they are going to be reimbursing me for it, I'm probably going to be more price conscious. You know, if they're booking it, they're really just looking at what's the lowest possible fare. They don't care it's a 5 a.m. flight. They don't care it has to make two connections. Like none of that matters to them. It's just the best price for them, right? Well, that stuff affects me and I'm going to show up either tired or worn out and like also that they could save a couple bucks. Like that, to me, that's not worth it. The other thing too would be Whenever I'm I'm traveling, I'm very anal on the airlines that I, I go uh-huh. with. And like you mentioned, like status, those things, it seems super <laughs> superficial, but it matters when you're traveling really a does. lot. You know, whenever you're changing flights or you are uh, getting upgrades or free check bags or any of those things, those things matter when you're traveling a lot. So to them, if they're like, well, you know, we're just going to find the cheapest thing, then it makes no difference, you know, versus if you said, no, no, it has to be on American or it has to be on right. United, it has to be on whatever. But if they're going, you know, well, we can book it on American, but it's, you know, $200 more than United or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, then you got to have, it just starts to deal like with silly it's stuff true. like that. So, so some of it would be schedule stuff. The other thing too is, I don't know about you, Melanie, when you do a lot of speaking engagements, there's often times where you're going from one event to the other. So it's not just a, yeah, it's not just a, I fly there and then I fly home type of thing. Now, oftentimes that's the case, but sometimes it's, I'm going from your event to a different event. And so Uh I can't have you book the thing because I need to know, you know, I need to be in control of my schedule or things where, you know, uh, maybe I want to fly into a city a little bit early because I got a friend there, you know, Uh and I don't want to justify to them why I'm, you know, coming in a day early or something, you know? (laughs) Um, so yeah. like those types of things where like I like to be a bit more in control of my schedule whenever it comes to, to travel, especially yeah. flights. And I think it is a balance. You know, there are certainly occasions where one or the other might w- make way more sense. The example I gave about Australia or New Zealand was very real. I mean, that was the reason in that case that started me off being like, there's no, I started looking at prices and I thought, I'm going to let them take care of this because otherwise that's a, that's a big check that you're waiting yeah. for reimbursement on, you know? So yeah, there's always a balance either way. and. 
the good part, again, we're asking these questions before we sign the contract. So this is our time to get clarification or to say, you know, I'm happy to let you book it so long as it's a flight leaving after 6 a.m. the day before the flight from my preferred airport. You know, this right. is the time to, to talk about those things that can be included in the contract or in a rider. Yeah. One other thing too, and I, I definitely want to talk about the rider piece. One other thing on travel is before you get into like the nitty gritty of who's booking what and how the reimbursements are playing out is discussing like when you need to arrive by. Okay. And so here's what I mean by that is let's say, for example, you are on the West coast and you are speaking on something on the East coast talking about in the, within the U S right. So you've got a, mm -hmm. a, a multiple hour, three, four hour time difference there. And so if they say, well, we need you to be in the East Coast by for this one o'clock session, that probably means you're going to have to fly in most likely the day before. You don't want to mm -hmm. cut it too close on your travel. So uh, and let's say that, uh, you know, they need you there, you know, for that one o'clock session. And then you're also doing an eight o'clock session, you know, later. That means you can't fly out to the following day. So all of a sudden, what seemed like, oh, yeah, I'm just doing this one day event becomes three days. I got to fly yeah. in the day before. I can't leave till the day after. And so it starts to stretch out. Well, you want to know that stuff because, yes, you may be speaking twice, but the way they've structured their conference or event or the session that they need you for, uh, it really stretches into multiple days. And you, ha you have to be aware of that. And you have to communicate to that, that to them. Just yeah. say, hey, I'm totally good to do that. But let's just talk through the logistics here of what that means for me. And therefore, you know, more of my time is I'm, there's, there's going to be a cost associated with that. This is especially true if you're doing any international travel. Um, you know, most of it of what we do is likely domestic. But I remember early on, I booked my own flight for an international event. And it didn't occur to me that I, here I was thinking I'd be back on Friday. No, I would be back on Friday their time, which is already Saturday here. Right. You know, so it was like a whole it was a whole different, uh, whole different ball game playing with those time zones. So, yeah, I definitely can kind of add some some scope creep to your your schedule. Right. For sure. And it all sounds good. Again, all this sounds great <laughs> when you're booking something like, I don't care what I got to do. I just want to book a gig. But then when you get to it, you're like, this is a horrible idea. Why did I agree to this? So I, making sure that you, you nail all those details down. I once had a six hour middle of the night layover in Moscow, oh. which again, seemed like a really good idea at the time. <laughs> it was not in retrospect, sleeping Moscow in the Moscow during the airport. night is not so glamorous. <laughs> I don't, I don't recommend it. Hey, so yeah, that's why these questions are important. One of the things you touched on was a writer. What exactly, what exactly is a speaking writer? Yeah. So a writer is sort of like the addendum to the contract, right? These are the things that maybe you're not contractually bound, but it's kind of like the, the additional agreements that you have in place. And so a lot of different things could be in there. You know, this may be for some of the tactical and logistical information you find out afterward. It could list some of your requirements like we were just talking, right? So maybe you specify which airline it should be if they're doing the booking or, you know, just additional details that might come up after the fact. How do you, how do you use riders in, in your stuff? Yeah. So with riders, we typically are specifying more of the technical pieces. So mm -hmm. um, here's the, I personally, uh, I have a microphone preference. Um, what, what's your microphone preference? What are the, I, the different you options? Know, yeah, I know there's a lot of options. I don't like a handheld and it's because okay. I talk with my hands yep. a lot. So I'm okay with a lapel, the kind that clip right on your collar uh, or any of the over the ear, the countrymen, you know, any yep. of that kind of stuff is fine. I just need to have my hands free for, for clicking and for gesturing wildly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know I'm the same way. So uh, I know some speakers that they prefer a handheld uh, wireless. Some people prefer a handheld wired. Some people prefer a lapel. Some people prefer the countryman, the one that, like you mentioned, goes over the Britney Spears looking one. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so <laughs> it could be any number of different types, but it's good to just discuss those things, you know? And then sometimes mm -hmm. it's like, you just know going into the, it's a small little environment, small little event. 
and you know, like whatever the mic they have, that's what you're going to, you're, that's what you're going to be working yep. with. It's not like we have, you know, nine different often options for you, Miss Diesel. Which one would you prefer? <laughs> you know, so uh, but just discussing that up front, and here's would be some preferences. Uh, I always like to ask about the in the the especially in the rider, and sometimes we'll discuss this in like a, a early call. But what the audience seating arrangement is going to be like, mm. and so for example, uh, I've done a lot of high school assemblies, and, and a lot of times in a bigger school. They may put the students on, and you're in a gymnasium, and they put may put the students on both sides of the gymnasium and the bleachers, or sometimes they will put them uh, all the way around you, so you're kind of in the round. I hate that. Uh, speakers <laughs> refer to that as like the gauntlet, where you're just, you know that uh, that audiences are going to be, they can see each other, they're, it's distracting, you're constantly spinning around, you're getting dizzy as you're talking. Um, <laughs> I personally am not a fan of that, though I know some speakers do like that. You know, so one of the things that we've told mm-hmm. clients is we want to make sure that the audience is is all in front of me as a speaker, but also that the audience is situated as close to the front and as close to the middle as possible. You mm-hmm. really just want, and we can get into this in another episode, but you really <laughs> want like concentration in, yep. in an audience. You don't want, you know, in a thousand seat room, you don't want a hundred people spread out all over the room. That's a disaster. So you really want to communicate, again, those little things that a a client may not think anything of, but to you, you know, makes a huge difference in how the event goes. Yeah. A lot of the events that I do, um, you know, are like we talked about marketing conferences that are annual or or semi-annual. So they use oftentimes the same venues. Um, So if I haven't spoken at that venue before, I will often ask them if they have any photo from last year that they can share of that stage. So I know what to expect because, you know, sometimes for us, depending on the venue, we're often at, you know, a convention center, which is kind of a toss up. You're either getting a giant room with a lot of white space and just some chairs clustered together. Right. Um, You know, I've had events where my stage is in the expo floor. Right. So you've got vendors and booths all around you and it's loud and chaotic and you know you've got like exposed rafters um, and I've had beautiful old classic theaters with you know the big red curtains so right. it just sort of depends and I like to ask if they do have a photo from last year or if they can tell me you know the venue which room in the venue we are maybe I could find out just to give myself a mental picture of what I'm working with and know if I need to make any requests like that about adjusting the seating um, for me it's also a good time to ask about the projector or the slide orientation the screen resolution. Um, I know not everyone does slides. A lot of what I'm doing are workshops, sometimes with a longer timeline, so it helps to structure those with slides. Um, And, you know, it's... if you do the wrong, it seems like such a tiny thing, right? Like, is it a 16 by nine or a four by three? Um, but if you do the wrong one, all your slides are going to be mm-hmm. messed up because it automatically squishes it uh, to the other format and you end up looking like like a mess. So, uh, you know, not only that, people can't read your slides. So I always ask that and, you know, include that kind of stuff in a contractor writer up front. So you you have all of your materials in the, the proper orientation. Now, this is a conversation for another day. I personally don't I rarely, if ever, use slides um, because of stuff like that. There's a lot of things that can mm-hmm. go wrong. But like you said, true. if you're, let's say, even beyond the um, uh, the, the slides piece, let's say, for example, I, I got a friend who's a chalk artist and uh, he needs to know kind of what's the stage setup, right? He mm-hmm. needs to know like, where's this going to go in relation to the audience? They got to make sure if he's drawing something with chalk that the audience can see it. If you're someone who's doing, you know, magic or you're pulling people up on stage, you need to know how big the stage is and how much mm-hmm. room you have to work with. Like all those just little logistics and little things uh, that you want to know as much ahead of time as possible so that you can be more, you know, more prepared for the the environment. Uh, yeah. the, the other question that I always like to find out is uh, is dress code. And this is something that we have 
Whenever we book an event, we usually have uh, three different forms that we send them. We send them the speaker contract, uh, just spelling out all the details of what we agreed on. We have uh, the writer, uh, and then we also have an event information form. This is more just like a, a bunch of boxes that they're filling in information, uh, you know, the 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 contact information for the the client, for the event venue, for the hotel. Um, but then the other thing that we ask within that is the dress code. Uh, so what are your what, what are you looking for with dress code? You know, I think dress code, you want to get a general idea of the formality, um, especially of the of the attendees. And the reason for that is, you know, you can you can kind of not know the tone of the room and really put yourself on the wrong foot. If you walk mm-hmm. in and everyone's casual Friday and you're in a full suit, here you are thinking you're trying to impress. That audience might be sitting there thinking, this guy thinks he's better than us. Look at this, look at this chump up here, you know? But the same thing could be true in reverse. You know, if you, uh, you know, you walk into this sales conference wearing a hoodie and your sneakers right. and these guys are all in full suits, how are they going to take you seriously? So, you know, obviously it's always a balance. You don't want to lose yourself. You don't want to lose your personality personality and your brand, that's all important. Um, but you do want to have a consciousness of what the expectations are, uh, you know, and sometimes there's, there's other fun things here too. So there's a big conference every year in Cleveland called Content Marketing World. And what you wouldn't know if you didn't ask a question like that is a lot of people wear orange. It's the theme of the show. So I'm not naturally going to show up to an event wearing orange, <laughs> but you'd probably shy away from that normally. But if I were to show up and everyone's got orange dresses, orange ties, you know, and I'm left out, right. I wouldn't know if I didn't ask that question. So, you know, it's, it can also kind of open up some some fun interpersonal stuff too. Uh, episode 92, uh, where we discuss how to dress as a public speaker. So I'd encourage people to go back and listen to that one again. That's episode 92. Uh, all right. Anything else that we need to cover in the writer or things to discuss before uh, before signing the contract? I guess the last thing you might want to you might want to bring up, you know, either for a writer or a contract, depending on the stage of of things, is whether who's going to be introducing you and whether you have the opportunity to give them a script to read. Uh, and the reason that you do that is the worst thing you could do is have someone go to introduce you and, and, and you know, they say your name wrong or they can't pronounce the name of your company or, you know, they, they they're kind of tripping over the words. So. You know, or maybe they're reading something that was your written bio that just doesn't flow as well when it's spoken. So uh, this is something to ask about for sure. And, you know, if it's possible to know who it is that's going to be introducing you, whether it's someone with a company or a sponsor or something else, and have that script for them, you know, send it in advance, but bring it with it, with you so you can say, here's my introduction. Do all these words make sense? Can you pronounce all of these things? You know, one thing I run into, my last name is Diesel, but it's D-E-Z-I-E-L. So People pronounce it all different kinds of crazy ways. Uh, and I always say diesel, like the gasoline. And people go, oh, okay, great. Now I got that. And I'll say it right. So you can do something like that too. Give people some clues about how to introduce you in a way that's going to set you up for success. Again, and like you just touched on there, the, the whole goal of all of these questions, it's not like you're trying to be annoying. You're not trying to be a pain. The more, and I think oftentimes actually, the more questions you ask, the more it shows the event planner that, that this matters to you. This is important. Uh-huh. This isn't just another gig. You're going to show up and wing it and leave. But you really want to make sure that you do a good job, that you're a, a quality speaker, both on stage and off stage. So all of this just helps you to better prepare for that. Now, I know that I mentioned the the speaker contract, the event information form, uh, the speaker writer. Actually, those are all things that we include for our students inside of Booked and Paid to Speak. So it's a, a training program that we offer. Um, and so, in fact, if you're interested in that, again, we'd encourage you to check out uh, freespeakerworkshop.com freespeakerworkshop.com where we, we uh, dig into a little bit more of what all is included inside Booked and Paid to Speak. But yeah, this is a great overview of these questions you need to ask. So again, that you make sure that you have these things in place uh, before you agree to them. 
So anything else here, Melanie? I think that's it. You, you can all just go out and sign the best contracts out there now. There you go. Miss Moose Allen. <laughs> All right, there you go. I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Melanie. Good stuff there, huh? Did you like that? Let's, re- let's recap what we covered. There. Those six questions there. How many sessions do they need? What type of sessions do they need? Number two, how long are the sessions? Uh, number three, what would the audience be like? What are their expectations? Number four, who are some of the other speakers or past speakers that they've had? Number five, what does a home run look like to them? How do you know if you did a good job? How do you know if you, are, uh, you did what they needed you to do? And then finally, number six is travel. Who pays for that? Do I pay for that? Do they pay for that? Who books it? How does that all play out? We also talked a little bit about uh, your speaking writer as well. Dress code, technology, what the stage setup is like, introductions, all of that stuff. It's all good to outline, nail down all of that stuff beforehand. And like we said, a lot of the stuff we go through, we dig into in depth inside of uh, some of our training programs. So once again, if, uh, if you'd like to join us for one of our upcoming tr- free trainings where we're teaching you exactly how to find a book, speaking engagements, then make sure you stop by and check out EliteSpeakerWorkshop.com, EliteSpeakerWorkshop.com. Also, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be doing this format with a co-host, me and Melanie, for the uh, the next three weeks. And so we'd love to hear from you. Is this a format that you like? Do you want to hear more of this? What, what are other formats or, or guests that you would like to hear from, other topics that you'd like to learn about, maybe some other things that you'd like to hear uh, Melanie and I discuss in a few future future episode so make sure that you uh, let us know and we'd love to love to hear from you all right we'll catch you next time my friend you're awesome